I'm just going to hit the intro and jump right in. All right. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through our wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. I have had brunch, I have had a mimosa, and I am ready to tell you about Ooh, uh, today's story. Yeah, all, all the necessary ingredients for a podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. As they say. So I'm just, yeah, everyone knows. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's just jump right in here. Awesome. The year is 1974. Nolan Bushnell is attending an International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, or IAAPA, conference, and sees what he believes to be a giant coyote. Quote, And I saw this coyote costume. I went over and gave them my credit card. I had them ship it to the restaurant. I knew my guys could make them talk. I didn't didn't know if they could make anything that looked like a coyote, but now I had my coyote. Quote, The operating name for the project... The code name was Coyote Pizza. So we're off to a great start here. What a weird way to start this story. But <laughs> well, it's this is how all this shit starts. It's like Nolan Bushnell just sees something and it just it just flips this switch deep yeah. inside his soul and he's like Coyote Pizza now. <laughs> he sees this like giant coyote costume and just sees dollar signs in his eyes. Or something. It's like, I don't even know if he saw dollar signs at first. It was just like, I want that coyote costume. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I need to have it. In a 2017 interview for The Atlantic, Bushnell has said of his decision to open a pizza restaurant. Quote, It was my pet project. I started it inside Atari. My objective was to vertically integrate the market. We were selling coin-operated games at about $1,500 or $2,000 a pop, and in their life, they'd make about 15 to 20k. It didn't take the it didn't take rocket science to say I'm on the wrong side of the equation. Quote, I didn't want to compete with the people I was selling to, but the game operating business is all about securing locations. So the way to not compete with them is to secure my own locations. Mm-hmm. The original genesis was to create a big arcade with food as a support culture, almost as an ancillary service. Which is, like, this is Nolan Bushnell's genius, right? Yeah. He looks at these broad trends in the market and is able to say, like, he's he was one of the first people in 1974 to look, to be able to understand the broad trends of the technology market right because if you can understand how tech the technology business works in 1974 all of these move all of the moves that nolan bushnell made are very common sense right right but he was really just the first guy that was like he had the right knowledge and was in the right place to do it yeah right? he actually make anything together. come of it yeah well and he was just the first guy to be standing in line Right. Right. Okay. So, why pizza? Quote, I chose pizza because of the wait time and the build schedule. Very few components and not too many ways to screw it up. If the dough is good, the cheese is good, and the sauce is good, the pizza's good. 
I didn't have any preconceived idea that I knew how to run a restaurant, but I knew simple was better. Huh. Which is like, I that's sort of the right idea to go with it. It's weird to describe making a pizza as like a build schedule. Right. But like <laughs> but, at the same time, like it's not like food is the main focus. Like exactly. like like he said, food is the, like the support structure. So he's like, what is the cheapest and easiest food we can make to support this arcade concept? Exactly. Yeah. Why did he need all this entertainment stuff? Quote, the reason for doing the animals, believe it or not, was not the kids. It was meant to be a head fake for the parents. Kids are really smart at knowing how to play their parents. And the kids <laughs> knew that if they said, quote, I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese and play games, the parents would just see themselves spending money. But if they said, I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese Entertainment and it's free, they'd be good to go. <laughs> Which, like, that's brilliant. <laughs> like, yeah. Genius. Uh, Bushnell said, the other thing was that we wanted the parents to have something to amuse themselves while the kids were in the game room. If you listen to the dialogue, it was fun, edgy stuff, kind of like Toy Story, written as much for the parents as it was for the kids. We'll mm. get into that later. Yeah. When asked about the choice of mechanical singing animals, he said, <laughs> quote, the synthesis came along because there was a pizza parlor called Pizza and Pipes. It basically resurrected a Wurlitzer theater organ, and the place was packed when they had an organist that actually played the thing. And I thought, well, there is a demand for some kind of entertainment to go along with the pizza, but I'm not going to have something that needs a player, and I'm not going to do something that requires finding and restoring an antique. And sometime I was doing this, I went to Disneyland and went to the Tiki Room. It was Disney animatronics. I, mm. I said, that's pretty simple. I bet I can get my engineers to knock that out. So this this quote really, to me, perfectly illustrates Nolan Bushnell's, like Nolan Bushnell as a businessman. Yeah. He basically, he saw like there is a market for pizza and entertainment, right? Yeah. That is a market that exists. That is, there's a niche there that he can fill. Right. And his idea was, all right, I don't want to have to pay for live performers, and I don't want to have to pay to restore antiques. Smart, mm. like, smart way of thinking. But his response is, oh, I'll just use, I'll just use incredibly expensive custom robots that need to be repaired all the time. Yeah, not like, a smart move. <laughs> he's on the right track, but then just like these incredibly, like I'm sure for the time, and very advanced robotics. Um, or at least very expensive robotics is we, crazy. We will talk a lot about like exactly how expensive the robotics were in a bit. But yeah. It's just the, it's a very pure Nolan Bushnell move to be like, to go to Disney and see the Tiki Room and be like, oh, I could probably knock this out in an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is fine. This and will work with my pizza concept. Well, and it's like that you can see that instinct in so many Silicon Valley dickheads nowadays just dialed up to 11. Yeah. Like they see just something in the world and they're like, I bet I can do that for $3. <laughs> it's like the Oogie Loves guy going to see right. Medea goes to jail and saying, like, I can do this, but better for right. children. I can make a right. Medea goes to jail for three year olds. I know exactly what this is and how it works and how I could do it better. Yeah. For cheaper. It's like, it's like no, no, you no, don't. You don't. <laughs> I went to where they were working and said, quote, how's the coyote coming? <laughs> and they, 
and they said, "What coyote? You sent us a rat. Co- you sent us a rat costume." Oh no, the origin story. I said, "I'll just change the name to Rick Rat's Pizza." Can you imagine if that ended up being the name? Right. That feels like a like that feels like a parody of Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> right. Rick Rat. I'm Rick, Rick Rat. R- hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm Ricky Rat. I don't touch the pizza that much. <laughs> She, like, blows cigarette smoke in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Rick Rats. (laughs) Quote, my marketing department had a shit fit. What the? I've never heard that term. (laughs) Have you ever heard the term shit fit before? I've heard it, like, once or twice, but that's, like, a weird, like, Midwest... That's, like, a weird, like, Midwestern dude bro way of describing that. Yeah. Quote, you can't call a restaurant a rat place. (laughs) People think rats are dirty. It's not going to work. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, one of the, you know, having rats in your restaurant is what shuts restaurants down. It's, that is the central, that is like the central theme of Ratatouille. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, it's the the inherent dichotomy of rats existing in a restaurant space. Exactly. The conflict that make, makes for such a, you know, good movie. Right. A dynamic film. Yeah. <laughs> but what if he is a rat, but you don't call him a rat, I suggested. You name it, I told him. I don't give a shit what it is, but it has to be happy. A week later, they said, we got a name. And not only is it happy, it's triple happy. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. You can't say each one of those words without smiling. That's true. <laughs> whenever, I, that, I, whenever I say E, I smile. Yeah, e. Whenever I say Chuck. Cheese. Chuck. Chuck E. Cheese. Design of the initial costumes was given to Harold Gold Branson, who based his design on the initial costume purchased by Bushnell. This Ur-Charles looked a lot more like a rat, with the thin tail, long snout, and large teeth. However, to make the giant rat look more inviting, he was given a red derby hat, a red shirt, a paisley vest, and a black bow tie. This Mm. version of Chuck even occasionally sported a cigar. (laughs) It's 1975. People, like, didn't know that cigarettes were bad for you yet. Yeah, but, like, still, like, a children's mascot smoking a cigar. We literally made a joke earlier of him, like, blowing cigarette smoke in your face. Can you imagine if just like the animatronic has like a cigar that it raises to its mouth like every now and then? It's like a then. real cigar. Yeah, it's actually like it gets lit like it's a right. fire hazard. <laughs> the parents are unruly. He just puts out the cigarette on their skin. Yeah. You coming into my house? <laughs> know uh, your place. Know your place, uh, parents. Know, <laughs> know your place. <laughs> You stepped into the house of a rat, baby. If you enjoy having working opposable you thumbs... You play by my rules! <laughs> Welcome to Ricky Rat's house of getting your shit kicked in. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, once, the, once the characters were designed, the engineering work of making them actually move was given to a man named Mike Hatcher. Nolan said of Hatcher, quote... He was a really good programmer, a puppeteer, and a screenwriter. 
He wrote and designed the authoring system that programmed the units, Bushnell said. He'd sit in back with the impresario and the program and, and program the movements one at a time, basically to coordinate them with a tape. So it was just, like, one guy doing all the animatronic work, like, writing and designing everything. Yeah, he seems like a true Imagineer. Like, a lot of those Disney oh, Imagineers, totally. like, would write songs, would write dialogue and all that stuff. Like, you have I, to, like, think, see the full picture kind of thing. I think he was an Imagineer at one point. Okay, like, that, that makes sense. I think sense. he eventually did become an Imagineer. He's, like, he's like 78 now, so he's retired. Right, but he um, has that very specific skill set. Yeah. Uh, the San Jose Mercury News ran a short story about Hatcher in 1979 that revealed the following facts. One, it took him three hours of programming for every one minute of animation. Two, that there were often 200 movements going on at once during the shows. Wow. And three, poor Hatcher had to work the graveyard shift. <laughs> yeah. So he put, like, his heart and soul into these animatronics. Yeah, man. To, to and, great results. Like, yeah, and no one was paying him to match. Yeah, well, that's good that he's valuing that kind of talent. Made him work a lot, but he was being paid well. Right. Uh, but how did the characters actually move? Did they have motors? Uh, quote, no, they were all pneumatic, Bushnell explained. Factories run on pneumatic. The components are cheap, but they never wear out. They just run and run and run. Okay. It's probably the most robust motion technology in the world. Now, the thing about pneumatics is uh, that they're loud. Right. Like, pneumatics are basically, like, it's it's uh, pressurized air. They're mm, Like the tubes, the tubes inside. And yeah, like pneumatic tubes. It's okay. exactly that. It's that same, uh, it's that same principle, but it means that every time the animatronics move, there's, like, a noise. Yeah. Well, if the animatronics... Like, if the pneumatics aren't being maintained properly. Okay. But the thing, with, the other thing with pneumatics is that they're also very uh, expertly calibratable. So you mm. can get very uh, precise movements with pneumatics. Okay. And they're very easy to calibrate, which is the other thing. Right. Hmm. Uh, when asked about the role of animatronics in the business, Nolan responded, quote, We saw them as being our advertisement and our freebie, he said. We tried to assume that if people came back every month, they'd want to see something different. So we tried to change the skit every month. Hmm. Quote, We went through a phase where we would have separate rooms with lounge acts. The cabaret, for example. We had an Elvis impersonator. We had Dolly Dimples, which was a piano torch singer, he said. They had personalities, you know. Chuck E. Cheese was a wise guy, kind of abusing the other people. <laughs> <laughs> Just like any good central character. Yeah, just being an abusive asshole. That's what makes Mickey Mouse work so well. <laughs> right, it's the fact that he constantly puts out cigarettes on Donald Duck. <laughs> it's endearing. <laughs> Donald deserves it. Uh, the hound dog was stupid as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is, this, is that an exact quote? This is an exact quote from Nolan Bushnell. <laughs> Fuck the hound dog. <laughs> he's a, he's <laughs> dumb as shit and I hate him. <laughs> When Hatcher, when, when Hatcher showed me the designs, I vomited immediately. <laughs> I, I like him it. On, I slapped him on all four cheeks for bringing me such a disgusting, deplorable design. And then immediately approved it, because it was exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> it was exactly what I, I needed someone for Chuck to abuse. <laughs> all the great character archetypes, the central asshole, the stupidest <laughs> shit, disgusting 
horrible <laughs> the, rat spit the irre- vomit man the irredeemable the irredeemable victim yeah <laughs> and the elvis impersonator <laughs> uh let's see the hound dog was stupid as shit so it was a great thing for chucky to be describing something really slowly and dumbed down right. so that that was his foil was chuck chucky the original chucky e. cheese would ex, like would try to explain shit to the dog super slowly because he was an idiot and that was their way of explaining things to kids <laughs> the 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 stupidest shit hound dog was the the children's audience stand in <laughs> and that that's what he thinks of the children right we gotta give an anchor for the children so we got this stupid as shit disgusting vomit hound dog that deserves <laughs> to be killed uh, we also had Mr. Munch who loved to eat everything he was I, kind of our cookie monster I remember Mr. Munch he's the one you'd feed the tickets to well he was he's uh, still a part of the cast to this day right I, he's and, the, like the one of the only ones that, I remember Chucky and that guy, and then like I think the 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 bird woman who was we'll, like we'll the talk same, yeah we'll talk about the changing cast as we go on okay uh, uh, he was kind of our cookie monster and we took the cookie monster and turned him into a garbage can with a vacuum to suck stuff out of your hand quote I saw it as abs I saw it absolutely as interactive entertainment understand the timeline I started Chucky just before I sold. I sold Atari to Warner, and Warner didn't want to have anything to do with it. Mm. So Warner looked at Chuck E. Cheese. They were like, fuck no. Get out of here. Get out of my face. Yeah. They said, sell it. And I said, I'll buy it. And they sold it to me. I was still CEO of Atari and building the restaurants on the side. I had a president of the restaurants, and he got the technology and the licensing. Mm. Then, Then restaurants started just coining money. And then after the sale... Uh, Warner's people got tired of me and I was tired of them so it was very easy for me to spend full time working on Chuck E. Cheese Hmm. we built it up to about 250 restaurants before I sold it out wow yeah so like that's like he basically got kicked out of Atari and then all that mess happened yeah Uh, and so he was like fuck it I'll work full time on Chuck E. Cheese and he got it up to a very respectable 250 restaurants right so after that 250 he was bought out or he left uh, he basically sold the company. Okay. Like, he was just sort of done. Right. Yeah. All right. In 1977, the restaurant opens as Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. <laughs> the first location opened in San Jose, California in 1977 and was labeled as the first family restaurant to integrate food, cheap animated entertainment, and an indoor arcade. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it's it's been around that long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they've it, been around... F- it was still going strong when I was a kid up until I was probably like, you know, like well, in my mid-teens. It honestly still is. Like, if you look at the numbers, they're like, they're still doing, like, they're not doing great, but they're doing totally passably. Like, right. they're, oh, wow. they're not in the black. That's surprising, actually. Well, they're, like, you have to remember that Chuck E. Cheese is in... It is, Chuck E. Cheese is an extraordinarily profitable business model. Right. Okay. Uh, there, well, because Chuck E. Cheese is Chuck E. Cheese caters to parties, right? Right. I had like every, four birthdays there. 
every single person that walks into a Chuck E. Cheese walks in the door with a full wallet with the explicit intention to spend exorbitantly. Right. Like treating your kid to a really, really fun day. And they have the uh, they have the McDonald's thing of getting that nostalgia hook in you. Yes. Right. Right. I I don't I never actually quoted it, but I I read an article doing research for this about um, this one like this one journalist for I forget what the magazine was I have it cited, but they it's like they've been going to they've been holding their birthdays at Chuck E. Cheese for over 30 years oh, like they've wow. just been doing it every single year and it was this it was this great like retrospective of like the history and how Chuck E. Cheese has changed over time yeah because it's such like a long history yeah hmm. when the first location opened in 1977 the animatronic characters were featured as were just featured as busts in framed portraits hanging on the wall of the main dining area the original show featured Krusty the Cat, who was the first character to face retirement, as he was almost immediately replaced with Mr. Munch in 1978, mm. uh, Pascali P. Pieplate, the singing chef, Jasper T. Jowls, the Warblets, and the main focus of the show, Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> I forgot that his middle name is Entertainment. Yeah. In 1978, Bushnell purchased the Pizza Time Theater concept from Atari's then-corporate parent, Warner Communications. Hmm. Gene Landrum then uh, resigned from Atari and was made president and chief operating officer of Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. Hmm. So basically, he developed, like, Bushnell developed the, uh, the concept under Atari, and he got fired, and Atari didn't want Chuck E. Cheese, and so Nolan kind of, like, like stuck his foot in the door and he was like what's that I, i'll buy chuck e cheese just come on i'll take it with me come on right. give it right you clearly don't want it so i'll take it <clears throat> yeah and he did they sold it to him wow to expand beyond california and the west coast nolan began to franchise resulting in a co-development agreement between himself and robert brock of topeka in management in the middle of 1979 the agreement handed Brock exclusive franchising rights for opening Pizza Time theaters in 16 states across the southern and midwestern United States. Nolan told Brock that his animatronics were the best in the business and couldn't be beat. In November of 1979, Brock met Aaron Fletcher of Creative Engineering Incorporated, who was working to develop a competitor to Chuck E. Cheese. Hmm. So he met he met the guy who was doing all the design for Chuck E. Cheese's uh, emerging competitor. Okay. Quote, He was reportedly stunned by the quality of Fletcher's animatronics and was concerned that they would be too strong a competition for Bushnell's work. Brock requested, so much so, that Brock requested that Bushnell release him from their co-development agreement as he wished to develop with Fletcher instead. He's just in, in awe of his pneumatic tube design. It, like... Without exaggeration, he was like, "These animatronics are so good. I, I want to like drop out of this agreement with the guy that made Atari." Yeah, right. He, it's like meeting Jesus in the desert, like dropping everything. He's like, "I have to follow this man." Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. In, De in December of 1979, Brock and Fletcher formed Showbiz Pizza Place Incorporated. Severing Brock's business relationship with Bushnell, Showbiz Pizza Place was conceptually identical to Pizza Time Theater in all aspects except for animation, which mm. would be provided by Creative Engineering. Mm. 
Showbiz Pizza Place opened its first location on March 3, 1980 in Kansas City, Missouri. Hmm. By 1979, many restaurants had also added cabaret shows in separate rooms of, of each restaurant. Uh, one of the early cabaret characters was Dolly Dimples, a hippopotamus who played the piano and sang, the, uh, sang in the blues-jazz style of performer Pearl Bailey. Hmm. The in-house controller system consisted of a 6502-based controller in a card cage with various driver boards and was called Cybermatics. Ooh. Yeah. Fancy. Uh, just fun fact, the 6502 is also the onboard processor for the, Ninten- for the Super Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. I have, like, so basic- no idea where any of this... Like, how much... Like, where were computers at at this point? Like, what were they... What were computers... What was the let's, role of computers in, in all these animatronics? Let's see. So, this... So, this is uh, 1979. So, this is the era of the... This is the era of the Apple II and the very late stages of the SNES. Okay. Right. Oh, I said... Quick correction, I said last episode that the Atari 2600 was uh, was not 8-bit. It is 8-bit. Aha! Justice you for were, Evan. You were correct. The hashtag paid off. The hashtag paid off. I have to go to court now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this... So, let's see, 1979, I'm pretty sure that's the heyday of the Apple II. Okay. Right? So at this point in t- at this point in history, having like a personal computer would be very rare. Like that's right. something that only you could only really afford if you were like if you were like a, a white collar worker. Like at this point, you would have a computer if you were like a professional lawyer that had to write stuff all the time. Okay, got it. Um, and you and you might have a home printer. But nice. this is also the point in history where, like, having a computer was very much, like, a, a hobbyist thing. Right. Like, if you wanted to order an upgrade for an Apple II, like, it wasn't just, like, you know, you wouldn't get a new hard drive in the mail. You would get a, uh, you would get mailed, like, a plastic tube full of circuit board components that you have to manually slot into your motherboard. Right. That's crazy. Chuck E. Cheese's featured the Pizza Time Players, featuring Mr. Munch, the purple alien on vo- on keyboard and vocals, Jasper T. Jowls, the singing cowboy dog who played banjo and rhythm guitar, Pascali P. Pieplate, the singing Italian chef on drums, the Warblets, a trio of warbler birds on backup vocals, and the star, Chuck E. Cheese, on lead guitar and vocals. The mm. Pizza Time Players would routinely do gigs with guest stars who were often unique to individual locations. These included characters uh, like uh, Harmony Howlett, a tomboyish female wolf and country singer, who, according to the pizza show, to the Showbiz Pizza Wiki, was, quote, one of the few guest stars that wouldn't hesitate to stand up to Chucky's insults, giving... <laughs> the iron boot of Charles Entertainment Cheese <laughs> is finally challenged. <laughs> How dare you talk to me like that? I ain't taking none of your shit, you stupid rat. <laughs> what the fuck you say to me, bitch? <laughs> uh, one of the few guests, one of the few guest stars that wouldn't hesitate to stand up to Chucky's insults, giving them some of the most unique and feisty exchanges. Uh, Harmony also had her trademark howl, 
which often erupted when she got excited, much to the ire of Chuck. <laughs> I didn't realize there was so much conflict between the characters. <laughs> it seems like 1979 Chuck E. Cheese was like a real asshole. Yeah, right. It's like a big part of the show was like the fights he would get in <laughs> with other characters. It's, it's like, well, it's like when you look at when you look at his design in 1978, I think he was kind of modeled after, like, P.T. Barnum. <laughs> he was like this... Like, his design made him look like this sort of grizzled 19, like 1920s carny. Right. Like, like, 1979 Chuck E. Cheese looked like he had a drinking problem. <laughs> well, I mean, like, the early version smoked a cigar. I wouldn't be surprised if they, like... They wrote in like alcoholism as part of his character. I I don't think alcohol was a part of it, but he was definitely kind of like a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Like I don't remember like I just remember him being like a goofy guy. Like I don't remember. I know uh, like Chucky like Chucky e. Cheese's personality has changed a lot over the like now fifty years that he's been in operation. Alright, so I guess they took out the active fights and verbal abuse that he was discussing <laughs> to the other characters. Right, he's not like he's not like an abusive stepdad anymore. Yeah. Right, it's good that he changed with the times. Right, right. Eventually, the Warblets were replaced by the Mopsy Sisters, a trio of mops with faces. This animatronic lasted only a year, as it looked very racist. I, this I, I, this I, animatronic was like straight-up Harlequin show bullshit. <laughs> like, okay, okay. It's really, it's real bad. I don't know why the idea, it's like, so we got like a singing rat, a singing bird, a, you know, um, let's have mops with faces. Let's, let's have racist singing mops. <laughs> That's what the people want. That's what the people want. <laughs> well, it's like, all right, I need a list of 10 ideas. And they give them, it's like top one is like trio of singing warblers. <laughs> and then idea number two is just like racist singing mops. Yeah. Let's go with the mops. Uh, the Warblets and their successors were eventually replaced by Helen Henny, a female chicken and parody of Australian folk singer Helen Reddy. She initially began as a guest star, but eventually became a permanent member, and still to this day plays bass and tambourine for the Pizza Time players. That's the bird lady. Yeah, I remember her. Yeah. The Pizza Time players. The Pizza Time players' sound was a bombastic fusion of ragtime, country, and bluegrass that featured an energy that featured energetic covers of American patriotic songs like Grand Old Flag. Hmm. Uh, their competitors over at Showbiz Pizza were called the Rock of Fire Explosion, <laughs> featuring uh, Billy Bob Bracali, a brown bear on, ba on bass and lead vocals who functioned as the voice of reason to quell the band's squabbles, Duke LaRue, a dog in a spacesuit with a comically incompetent personality who played drums. <laughs> Why do they always give uh, the dog the incompetent personality? Right. <laughs> It's like, if you were making a pizza restaurant in 1979, you just thought all dogs were stupid as shit. Yeah. Well, he's a dog, he's stupid. <laughs> you know, like dogs. <laughs> like dogs are. Uh, Fats Geronimo, a silverback gorilla based on Fats Domino and Ray Charles, who played the keyboard and served as the band's unofficial mascot. Hmm. Uh, Beach Bear, a surfer polar bear on backup guitar with a sarcastic personality who would... Uh, ask questions to throw the, the other band members off their act, but never in a mean-spirited way. Uh, 
Mitzi Mozzarella, a cheerleader mouse on backup vocals. Mitzi was considered, quote, loose by the rest of the Rockafire explosion. This is such, like, calm, like, layered themes to these characters. <laughs> but it's not nice. It's all, like... Yeah. Like they're, they're all, like, assholes and misogynists. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, this is what the people want. It's 1979. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1979 we gotta call women broads and smack them on the butt all the time we won't be able to do this for much longer <laughs> the 80s are coming <laughs> gotta get our kicks in while we can 1981 rolls around we can only be mean to gays <laughs> right. right we're running out of options <laughs> god god can you imagine if they switched <laughs> they switched all their personalities <laughs> over to being homophobic yeah, just like whatever it was still okay to make fun of at the time. <laughs> right. Just like, gotta take what we can get. Yeah. We're, we're feeding on table scraps at this point. <laughs> right? <laughs> Times ain't what like, they used to be. Pretty soon the 2010s are gonna roll around and we're gonna be reduced to only making fun of trans people. Yeah. What'll be next? <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> considered loose by the rest of the rocket fire explosion god it's like that's the word they used and is obsessed with gossip boyfriends pop music and appropriate for the time michael jackson so a very rich strong layered female character right well, it, normal things for a woman of her age to be enjoying at the time yeah the band also featured the band also featured Looney Bird, an avian of unknown species who played the drums and is repeatedly said to be huffing gasoline <laughs> which he called goofy gas goofy gas this was a reference to, this was a reference to the early 80s gas crisis was there a crisis of people huffing gas in the early 80s no, there was like a gas shortage, and it was this. I, it's <laughs> the drummer of their band. Like his defining trait was that he huffed gasoline, and that was supposed to be like a topical reference to the gas crisis. <laughs> right, that was supposed to be like a kid-friendly topical gas crisis reference, and this was them trying to pull a like. This was them trying to pull a Shrek two and have something that was like. Like edgy for the kids, but f like edgy for the parents, but fun for the kids. Right. You know, but I just imagine if like imagine like all the Disney characters, but imagine if Donald Duck's defining trait was that he huffed paint. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Like that's like beyond like edgy for the parents, fun. It's just like what? It's it's so specific. <laughs> yeah. Like kids aren't gonna get it, and parents are gonna be like. What are you talking about? Like, don't give my kid any ideas. Well, that's... It's like... It would be like having a cast of cartoon characters now where one of them... Like, one of the characters defining traits is that they've, like... They constantly lose a ton of money investing in cryptocurrency. Yeah, right. It's like some weirdly specific, like, contemporary topic that... They're not really commenting on it. It's just like, look, <laughs> this exists. Yeah, but not doing it in, like, a funny or clever way really just being like <laughs> yes this guy huffs gasoline haha -ha. <laughs> stage right also featured Rolf de Wolf and his ventriloquist puppet Earl Schmurl 
They performed a stand-up comedy act in between musical sets. Okay. Rolf is a wolf, and Earl is his puppet. Rolf also functioned as the antagonist to the Rockafire group during skits, bossing them around in his role as their unofficial manager. <laughs> There's always got to be the, the abusive asshole. And Chuck E. Cheese, it happens to be <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> well, and I like how they said that the rest of the group like disparages them, but it seems like it's just the like one or two characters yeah. that are just being enormous assholes to the rest of the band. Right, there would be peace without this one character. <laughs> the Rockafire explosion sound would today be called Psychobilly, a mixture of psychedelic rock and rockabilly. Oh. And while this does not sound appropriate for kids, the quality and production level of their music was much, much higher, and often, um, more often than not, featuring original songs that were genuinely catchy and well-written. Okay. So this is the big leg up that they had on Chuck E. Cheese, was that the Rockafire explosion was, like, head and shoulders better than... Uh, the showbiz pizza time players right Chuck E. Cheese was more just like very generic covers of like standard American songs yeah it was like they would sing Yankee Doodle Dandy right okay well and and remember that they weren't like the pizza time players the Chuck E. Cheese pizza time players were not fully articulated they were just um they were just a chest and arms and a head okay Interesting. People people often cite the Rockafire explosion as being much creepier to look at. However, the quality of their animatronics was much higher, and their exaggerated cartoony movements placed them neatly outside the Uncanny Valley. Okay. They also had fully articulated, fully visible bodies, compared to the Pizza Time players, who were only busts and moved with jerky, mechanical movements. Right. Okay. The, sh the shell components of the Rockafire explosion were suspended to the frame with precisely tuned elastic components, which caused them to, quote, wobble when they moved, creating the illusion of more fluid movement. Hmm. The Pizza Time players were stiff and mechanical, similar to, uh, similar to one of those fortune-telling machines. Uh, but the Rockafire explosion had an effect similar to a person wearing a suit of armor. Okay, so I, I, I kind of see why that guy, I forget his name, Robert something, um, left... Uh, Fletcher. Y yeah. Um, oh, no, 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 uh, Brock. Yeah, why Robert Brock left for Fletcher, because, like, he... I mean, these animatronics were legitimately, legitimately like, head and shoulders better than yes. Chuck E. Cheese. Well, and the, the production quality of his work, right? And right. remember that the, the animatronics are what gets you in the door. Right. right? The animatronics, like... The animatronics are the big sell. That's yeah. what people come there for. So if your if your animatronic floor show is best, people will give you more money. Right. Okay. Upon the opening of Showbiz Pizza Place, Bushnell sued Brock and Topeka Inn management over their breach of contract. <laughs> Brock immediately issued a countersuit against Bushnell, citing misrepresentation. <laughs> The court case began in March of 1980, eventually settling out of court with Showbiz and agreeing to pay Pizza Time Theater a portion of its profits over the following decade. Wow. Both restaurants experienced inc increased sales and success as the video game industry became more robust, and to maintain competition, both franchises continually modified and diversified their animatronic shows. Right. So, even with that initial rocky start, like shit's going great for both companies. Yeah, I mean, even with like that big lawsuit, um, it was still like they're both like 
right place, right time. Yeah. While Aaron Fletcher separately produced Rockafire Explosion animatronics for Showbiz Pizza through the early 1980s, Bushnell and Pizza Time Theater continued to work on characters for their portrait format and newer balcony, uh, balcony performance stage shows under the umbrella of the Pizza Time players. In addition, more cabaret shows modeled after actual musical artists were released, such as The Beagles, a parody of The Beatles, uh, the, Beach, the Beach Bowsers, The Beach Boys, and The King, Elvis. Material concerns also had a significant effect on the design of Charles himself. The 1980s prompted another major redesign. The Paisley vest was swapped out for one with screen-printed red diamonds to ensure that every vest was the same. The 1980s also featured the first TV commercials with the with the newly developed articulated versions of Mr. Cheese, mm. who was now able to blink and move his jaws. <laughs> As opposed for the frozen rictus he had before. <laughs> right. At least some life has given to his facial features. At this point in time, Chuck E. Cheese's voice was similar to that of a vaudeville actor, complete with transatlantic accent. The articulated walkabout costumes were rarely featured in the actual restaurants, and when they did, they supported modified rosy cheeks and red lower lip that were significantly creepier than their predecessors. Great. In 1981, Pizza Time Theater goes public. In the early 1980s, the restaurant franchise debuted in Australia under the name uh, Charlie Cheese's Pizza Playhouse. The name change had to do with the common meaning of the word Chuck, which, in Australia, is a reference to vomiting. <laughs> I mean, which, imagine, it's, a, it's a reference to vomiting here, too. I mean, it's, it's just a lot more common in Australia. Right, like a more direct connotation. Yeah. But I, I just love the idea of, like, let's pop on down to Vomit Rat's Barfatorium. Yeah, right. So, sounds like something we would put in the screenplay. <laughs> right. Welcome to Vomit, vomit Rat's Fun Time Pizza Theater. Hey, I'm Vomit Rat. <laughs> Welcome to... Have some fun with your parents, kids. Oh, oh God. I'm not well. <laughs> I'm not I long for this world. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese's famous catchphrase, I'm not well. <laughs> Charles Entertainment Cheese, he's not well. <laughs> Come on down to Chuck E. Cheese, where a kid can be a kid. And then Chuck, Chuck is like, I'm not well. <laughs> I have various illnesses that don't make my constitution very strong. <laughs> I love the idea of like... <laughs> like a children like imagine like a cereal like all those hyper cereal mascot commercials but like their whole shtick is that they're chronically ill <laughs> and on the verge of death constantly <laughs> and they're pitching the cereal as like the <laughs> don't be like me eat lucky charms <laughs> to get all your vitamins or, and minerals. no no there's there's just no reference to it it's just like imagine if they, <laughs> yeah. they redesigned yeah. the tricks rabbit so that he had like chronic fatigue syndrome and like broke down into tears and coughing fit. 
outfits. <laughs> had nothing to do with the cereal, though. He, he had that, like, that crazy, like, Adler's Dallow syndrome, where his, like, his joints dislocate constantly without warning. Yeah, it's just... and it's just, like, a uniform thing for all cereal mascots, and never explained why. Right, they all have different, rare, like, horrific, like, horrific chronic illnesses. That take up most of the time of the commercials. Oh man, no. Okay, w- one of my one of my friends actually has that. I th- I think it's Adler's Dallos, but she actually has that disease where like oh, her wow. joints just con- like her joints will inflame and dislocate at random times, and That's there's nothing insane. she can. No, it's like she just use a wheelchair, and so, <laughs> and so I just it's hilarious to imagine like <laughs> like giving that trait to a, because it's. It is a it is a debilitating disease. <laughs> the yeah. idea that of like using it to advertise for kids. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, why? <laughs> I I need to ask her like, <laughs> would you want to see more more representation of your disease in children's media? Yeah, specifically cereal mascots. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh. Maybe she would. I don't know. Like I don't want to. I have I don't no idea. Yeah. Discount that. I'd love to get her. <laughs> uh, Cents <laughs> bring her on to business desserts yeah I mean, she was actually the ask... one she, she was actually the one that helped me write a bunch of the uh the questions for goof for goop oh really yeah yeah no she she wrote one or two of those dude let's, let's bring her on to business desserts yeah but, uh, she seems like she would add a lot yeah let's see let's see uh, da, 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 da. things got messy towards the end of bushnell's involvement with chuck e cheese in the mid-1980s uh, quote, I don't want I don't want to get into the details, which are diz- dizzyingly complex and contested, but suffice to say, the chain's fortunes went up and down. Hmm. There was a splinter chain, an IPO, and a bankruptcy. It is very complicated. In the <laughs> end, Bushnell says that he cleared maybe $35 million from his pizza entrepreneurship. Quote, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't $200 million, he replied. Quote, yeah. I started, I started Chucky just before I sold Atari to Warner, and Warner didn't want to have anything to do with it. Ba-da-ba-da. Let's see. But in 1984, uh, the video game crash of 1983 resulted in significant losses for Pizza Time Theater, mm. uh, which lost $15 million in 1983. By oh. early 1984, Bushnell was personally over was personally in over $22 million in debt having invested nearly every dime he made into other ventures. Uh, His debts were insurmountable, resulting in the filing of Chapter 11 bankruptcy for Pizza Time Theaters Incorporated. Hmm. He was subsequently fired from his management position. Right. But like he said, he made over $35 million himself, and so he had $11 million left over. Yeah. He, He was fine. Yeah. Showbiz Pizza was also struggling, though for different reasons. Chuck E. Cheese had expanded far, far too quickly. You know those those initial 250 stores? That yeah. was in the space of four years. It's crazy. Chuck uh, expanded far, far too quickly, and no one reinvested almost nothing into the growing company. Chuck E. Cheese had no safety net. Showbiz right. Pizza, on the other hand, was still profitable but they were feeling much more pressure from maintaining their expensive animatronics, which came with higher overhead and operating costs per location. Hmm. So, 
the video game crash basically means that expansion is halted. Like, video game crash... Purchasing new arcade cabinets is now almost impossible. Okay. And so you have to rely... You can't rely on... You, you can't rely on the constant investor inflation uh, by that you get from expanding. Because if you're growing, that makes your company more attractive to investors, and they start pumping more money into your stocks. Right, right? and expecting more in return. Yeah, well, which they're getting because you're expanding. Yeah. But that should never be your main method of profit-making, mm. right? Because if shit like the 1983 video game crash happens and you have to stop expanding... All of that hits a brick fucking wall. Yeah. Let's see. On March 28th of 1984, Showbiz then bought the floundering Chuck E. Cheese, finalizing the purchase in May of 1985, and oh. recreating itself as Showbiz Pizza Time Incorporated. This begun the process of what fans call the, quote, concept unification. Okay. It began with new tweaks to Chuck was modified with softer, more inviting facial features. In 1985, the company is fully acquired by Showbiz Pizza and uh, proper restructuring begins. By 1990, the company has unified both brands to turn every location into a Chuck E. Cheese. Hmm. So, basically just to recap, uh, Chuck E. Cheese basically died because of the, uh, the video game crash, and filed for Chapter 11, their assets were sold off, and they were all bought up by their main competitor, who basically just sort of, they they absorbed the branding, and everything became Chuck E. Cheese's, even though it's being run by Showbiz Pizza. Right, which is interesting, because it's interesting that they they saw Chuck E. Cheese as the, like, more attractive brand. Like, they chose because that it, over their own branding. Well, because it it really was... Uh, it was mm. more recognized. It was more recognizable because they had more stores. Right. They expanded super quickly and were kind of ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Mm. After Fletcher refused to sign over the rights to the Rockfire Explosion to Showbiz Pizza Time, concept unification was undertaken beginning in September of 1990 and continuing through 1992. Mm. The goal was to eliminate Fletcher's characters from Showbiz locations. The mm. animatronics used for Showbiz Rockfire Explosion were redressed as Munch's make-believe band, with Chucky, Jasper, Helen Henney, Munch, and Pascali costumes replacing Fletcher's Rockfire characters. Hmm. So they basically just reskinned them. So they used his technology, but with the Chucky e. Cheese characters. Yes. By the mid 1990s, the, ch the character Chucky e. Cheese began to see significant design changes. The vest or suit he'd worn from the beginning was ditched for a casual shirt and optional sneakers in an attempt to appeal to a younger audience. The red derby hat, however, was retained, which customers remarked as being odd. It was eventually changed to a red, a large red baseball cap. Hmm. So they like they got rid of like the tux and the vest and all the vaudeville stuff, but yeah. they kept the bowler hat. Just like modernizing him in a bit. But like keeping the hat. Okay. Which they eventually ditched anyway. Hmm. In 1992, after the merger, both restaurant chains continued operating under their respective titles, while major financial restructuring had begun. During this period, Creative Engineering began to sever ties with Showbiz Pizza Time, officially st uh, splitting in September of 1990, resulting in the unification. Hmm. 1997 marked the most significant change to Chuck's overall design. He retained the same physicality, but his outfit was changed to a purple and green t-shirt and shorts with yellow trim, 
BMX glasses, and fingerless skater gloves. <laughs> Topped off with a purple and green snapback, which Chuck wore backwards. Late 90s radical! Whoa, dude! <laughs> this form of Chuck was titled, quote, Avenger Chuck. Why I did they title it that? No, why? <laughs> it's just called that. 1997 also marked the beginning of the costumed characters being phased out of advertising in favor of animation. Mm. So this is the Chuck E. Cheese that I remember, right? Yeah, yeah. This was the Chuck E. Cheese of my childhood. Right. However, Cool Chuck remained in stores. So while they changed him in all the commercials, the the Chuck with like the t-shirt and the red baseball cap, that, that guy was still there. He was the one in the costumes. Yeah, but I don't remember... Like, so they had the animatronic, the guy in the costume, and mm-hmm. the animated version. Yes. Okay. It's interesting, like, how many iterations of Chuck there was over the years. Well, and how incongruous they were. Like, yeah. Chuck would look different in, like, oftentimes they would have a guy in a suit in the commercials, but it would be a different suit than what was actually in the stores. Like, yeah. usually the suit in the commercials was fully articulated. That was the one that could, like, blink and move its jaws. Right. But then you go into the store and it's just the static, the static rictus one. Yeah, it's crazy. Like how, like they were just like evolving and changing so quickly, but like so, like not like, not in a linear way. I I watched a, a YouTube video on like walk around costume design, and it is, like, this is a truly difficult thing to do well. Yeah. Right. Like, because for the for. I'm going to say for pretty much all of Chuck E. Cheese's history, I don't think they ever really nailed it. I don't think Chuck was ever... I don't think Chuck ever truly looked good. Yeah. And so I, they were just constantly tweaking it to try and get it closer to something better. They were right. trying to hit, like, the Mickey Mouse walk-around Disney level things. Yeah. And, like, the design of Mickey Mouse, like, the Mickey Mouse costume and the Disney costumes in general are they're masterful like right. so they're all they're all designed to they're all designed so that you tilt the head down a little bit when you're looking at people so that it it's able to show the face more but when mm. people are taking pictures you can tilt the head up slightly and the the masks are molded so that they appear to be smiling so that you can right. take photos right it's i never even thought about like how subtle that has to be there's and it has to look good from every single angle. Yeah. That's the other thing. Right. It is it is a monumentally difficult thing to design a a, a good walk around costume. Yeah, and Chuck E. Cheese definitely there's some there's, I'm sure there's a lot of memes of those like oh, yeah. costumes and just like the old like nineties photos of children standing by this really creepy totally. rat man. I'm sure you've seen the there's there's the famous picture of uh there's the famous picture of one of those guys from Red Letter Media, of because he had a birthday at a Showbiz Pizza time back in like 1977, uh, yeah, or like back in 1980, like 1981 or something, yeah. And it's just like, it's this really low light photo with the extremely creepy looking Showbiz Pizza bear in the background. <laughs> And he's just, he has this kind of glazed look on his face, and he's wearing a shirt that says Dick the Birthday Boy. <laughs> I'll show you the picture later, and I'm sure, I'm, I know for a fact some of our listeners know what I'm talking about. 
there's like there's like something interesting there's like a very specific like horror aesthetic of like early 80s like animatronics or like costumes taken like pictures taken in low light with really low quality cameras or even into like like the 90s oh yeah no and all of it sublimated into five nights at freddy's who will actually become a part of this story later okay nice it's like it's like that everything is terrible aesthetic kind of thing yes yes the name was then In 1988, Showbiz Pizza became CEC Entertainment. The name was then shortened to Chuck E. Cheese's to Chuck E. Cheese's by March of 1995 after a redesign concept. In 1998, Showbiz Pizza Time renamed itself again uh, to CEC Entertainment to reflect the re- uh, remaining chain brand. In 2012, Chuck E. Cheese is struggling again, mainly due to the retail apocalypse. Yeah, makes sense. And proposes a rebrand. This is from the Dallas Morning News, reported in 2012. The parent company of Chuck E. Cheese's chainsaw a fourth quarter profit drop, but profit per share increase thanks to an aggressive stock buyback program. And hmm. there you go. They were keeping themselves afloat with a stock buyback program, right. and then the retail apocalypse hit, and they're like, oh no, we can't expand anymore. Golly gee. Yeah, who could have seen this coming? So, profit per share was at 15 cents, one cent ahead of an analyst's estimates, which, like, they're not, that's not bad. They're still, like, they're still not in the red. They're still making profit. Right. right? They beat estimates even by a tiny fraction, but they're still on the right. plus side. Total revenue for the fourth quarter of 2011 dipped by 2.3% to 178.6 uh, million from 182.8 million a year ago. Mm. That's fine yeah like it's it's a little bit of a hit for any reasonable business that is when you say okay let's scale things like let's scale things back let's step carefully because if we play fast and loose here this will be the first step of a downward slope right right in july of 2012 the rat mascot of chuck e cheese was officially retooled from a rat into a slimmer rock star mouse who plays electric guitar I remember voice, that. Voice actor Duncan Brennan, who for 19 years had voiced Chuck E. Cheese, was replaced with Jarrett Reddick, the frontman and guitarist for pop-punk band Bowling for Soup. Oh. Uh, yeah. Cool. One of my guilty pleasure bands. They did the Jimmy Neutron theme song. They did, yes. Fun fact. <laughs> Brennan, who was not given any notice, learned about the change from a post on the official CEC Facebook he was quoted as saying the change came as a, quote, complete surprise and was, quote, hurtful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this dude has been working for you for 19 years and he, he learns about it secondhand. And That's all because you All because you fell for the wiles of this hussy from Bowling for Soup. <laughs> what does he have that I don't have? Well, he I did the Jimmy the Neutron guy. theme song. God damn it. Super powered mind. Super powered mind. Meanwhile, the 2000s saw Fletcher, who was by who by then had become mostly forgotten about outside of the amusement industry. Uh, however, he, uh, he did meet his future wife in a Rockafire explosion chat room in the late 2000s. Birds of Which, a feather. Like, I mean. What better place to make a connection than in an extremely, extremely specific internet, early yeah. 2000s internet forum? 
Yeah. I mean, very specific kinds of people are going to be in those chat rooms. Exactly. It's like, I can totally see this relationship working out. You guys have, you are the only men and women with this interest. Yeah. (laughs) Right. They got to stick together. Then, in the late 2000s, the Rockafire explosion saw a second renaissance with a growing fan base thanks to its unique YouTube music videos and a 2008 documentary. Hmm. Like, basically, um, Fletcher, just like for shits and gigs, he had all the animatronics just like in a warehouse. Like, the warehouse where he like worked and did yeah. all of his like robotics contracting business. Uh, so, just to like kill time he would coordinate the Rockafire explosion like he'd refurbish them and then coordinate them to sing like modern pop songs and post the videos on YouTube and they were very fun that's a great use of his talents yeah but in 2013 uh, the Orlando warehouse uh, the Orlando warehouse housing many of the Rockafire explosions pieces exploded damaging some of the historical artifacts Uh, damn the the warehouse now repaired acts as a five nights at freddy's themed birthday parties uh they do five nights at freddy's themed birthday parties and uh takes place at the remodeled orlando warehouse and fletcher still debuts new concepts nearly every year at the iaapa expo where his fans excitedly meet him wow it's like what a way to like pivot that I know, like, it really reflects the, like, the changing times when it's, like, using the same technology, but, like, in a horror context instead. Well, and he, like, Fletcher was very good-natured about it. Like, when people asked him what caused the explosion, it was because he was, uh, he was experimenting with a natural gas alternative. Mm. Like, he was trying to make a natural gas, like, propane alternative and blew up his warehouse. (laughs) So he, so he, well, it's like, I love this guy's like mad scientist vibe. Yeah. I, well, but his he has the the rare subtype of being a mad toy maker vibe. Yes. Because when when people asked him about it, he had this vibe. There's like he, he had this vibe of like, yeah, I was I was just messing around trying to make a natural alternative to propane, and I blew the fuck out of my warehouse. My fault. My bad. I was experimenting with a growth serum for my tiny zoo animals, <laughs> and they took to it all too well. Do you I think... was trying to make a growth serum for my tiny animals, and it worked far, far too efficiently. Do you think God stays in heaven because he too fears what he created? <laughs> uh, breaking out the Spy, t- Spy Kids 2 references. We're really, we're really getting into the, the early 2000s. Early 2000s references, references yeah. Let's see, let's see. In 2014, uh, Chuck E. Cheese was acquired by Apollo Global Management. In February of 2014, Apollo Global Management acquired CEC Entertainment for $54 per share, or about $950 million. Like, that's that's real good. Yeah, for a company that's been around for so long and seen such well, technology changes. Like, like Moyong, the, the company that, sold, that made Minecraft, yeah. was bought for a billion dollars. Right, Instagram like, was bought for a billion dollars. Right, so that's like world, like global zeitgeist changing company. Billion dollars. Yeah, and that's not like a modern tech company or a software company. That's like a, you know, like a legacy technology company. Right. In October of 2014, under Apollo Global Management, CEC Entertainment announced that they would purchase their Phoenix-based competitor, Peter Piper Pizza, from Akon Investments. So they're they're still like still going strong. Wow. Uh, by 2015, 
the Chuck E. Live stage, which featured no animatronics at all, a modernized dance floor, and performances with only costumed characters, had been created. In 2017, the chain announced that the animatronic shows would be removed entirely in favor of design uh, in seven pilot locations. After the pilot locations showed promise, retirement of the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese locations accelerated and continued through 2019, by which time 80 of its stores were expected to be ref uh, retrofitted to the new design. Live costume character performances, particularly of the eponymous Chuck E. Cheese, uh, are still widely used today, even in locations where animatronics animatronics have been eliminated. Hmm. So they're they're phasing out the animatronics, which seems like a good pivot. Or... Yeah, yeah. In 2016, the U.S. Oh yeah, in 2016, the U.S. Department of Labor uh, Labor's Wage and Hourly Divisions. Great way uh, to start a sentence. <laughs> confirmed that it had levied fines totaling more than $28,000 against the chain. It said nine Bay Area branches had permitted teenage employees to run on-site trash compactors, uh, a breach of the Fair Labor Standards Act, which permits which prohibits youth from working, quote, hazardous jobs. The chain also allowed two minors to run a dough-mixing machine illegally. So, child labor. Yeah. <laughs> they were using child labor. Oh, Chucky, why? Why? Quote, as soon as we were made aware of that, we did correct the deficiencies and paid our fines, Holloway said. We are walking the straight and narrow now. We killed all the children involved. <laughs> they, they have been sacrificed to Chuck. In August of 2017, the company began to pilot a new design concept at seven remodeled locations branded as Chuck E. Cheese Pizzeria and Games. So this is this is what they're trying now, still. Right. These locations feature more upscale decor with a muted interior color scheme, Ooh. an open kitchen, a quote play pass card system to replace the arcade tokens, and the animatronic stage show replaced by a dance floor area. These changes, along with expansions to the food offerings, are intended to help the chain provide an experience that can appeal better to adult visitors and encourage family dining as opposed to primary primarily parties. Okay. Which, like, definitely try that out, but yeah. I, th I think, I think, drifting away from marketing to parties would be giving up a well-earned niche. Right. I wonder. Like, it's interesting. Like, I like. I wonder how many kids still have birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese. I think it's pretty common still, honestly. Yeah, I'd love to get some like data on that or something because it's like, I would assume that like most kids don't give a shit anymore and they just want to you know have a i think i i get the sense that chuck e cheese is still pretty popular yeah i don't know or decently popular i'm really surprised cheap, that they're still right? going they're, it's they're still like you know they're right. not like actively eating themselves away or shutting right, down every right. location no i was i was genuinely surprised to find out that chuck e cheese was like doing okay yeah hmm <clears throat> Only seven locations in San Antonio, Texas, and Kansas City, Missouri, areas will be redesigned initially. But Leverton, who was not available for comment to Gizmodo, uh, told CBS he had a, quote, strong hypothesis that the entire company will soon pivot away from animatronics. Hmm. These, uh, there are more than 500 Chuck E. Cheeses across the world. Adult Chuck E. Cheese aficionados are understandably disheartened by the news and took to Retro Pizza Forum a gathering place for fans of all things cheesy and robotic, to grieve. Quote, <laughs> to grieve, that's great. 
Lost for words, lamented one poster. Don't know what to say about it, unhappy face. Quote, Well, guys, with the 2.0 dance floor remodel coming, it appears we'll have to say goodbye to our favorite animated friends soon, wrote another. It seems kids these days are more interested in digital crap than it's something that's actually there. These are adults. Yeah. Weeping. An argument even broke out about the ultimate fate of the performers. Quote, They aren't going to sell the bots, one forum member chastised another. That isn't how this works. They'll be slowly relocated to stores who need them. Or if no stores need them, they'll be destroyed. Others tried to focus on the positive. Quote, Yes, it is sad that the animatronics are done for, wrote a commenter, but we shouldn't, but should... But we should cherish the remaining time we have with them, which will be for a handful of years. And when it's all over, we look back and reminisce on the good times we've had. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. But at the same time, like, move on. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I get it. This has, like, a wonderful place in nostalgia and your memory, but, like, don't, like, it's... it's (laughs) Greener pastures, my guy. Yeah. For a member Wolfpack 5 fan who maintains that who maintains a YouTube channel of rare Chuck E. Cheese animatronic footage, explained to us why he and other fans are so upset. Quote, they want to replace these works of art, each with their own story and history with a cheap dance floor. They told Gizmodo, back when they had shows, the place meant something. It was a place where magic comes alive. The theme of the show reminded you uh, that you were lucky to be born in an age with such a good future ahead. It's like, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's your definition of a good future, that's kind of... I don't get it. Wolfpack 5 fan lives in Lee Summit, Missouri, about 15 minutes from one of the seven Chuck E. Cheese locations that is being remodeled, and said the company has been self-destructing for a while. Quote, CEC Entertainment started removing what made itself unique. First went personality, then side characters, show tapes, tokens, mazes. But now, they say, the company is killing its, quote, roots where it all started. Way back in 76, when a man had an idea to unify family entertainment and music to create a masterpiece. I don't know about that. Like, Nolan Bushnell was trying to make money. Like, Yeah, he was, I mean, he was looking for his opportunity, you know. Like, he was looking for a niche. Like, like, don't talk about him like he's, like, some, like... An artist? Yeah, like an art... Like when Jimi Hendrix recorded Axe as Bold as Love or something. (laughs) Right, right. This isn't... This isn't fucking Jimmy playing the national anthem with his teeth at Woodstock, man. Like, this is... This is Nolan Bushnell making a low-end pizza restaurant so he can have his own buyer for his own arcade cabinets. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's weird when people conflate, like... Like, actual artistic masterpieces and just like a opportunistic business developments yeah it's it's like find the line there like there's a clear yeah. line perhaps most surprisingly bushnell said he's at a he's at peace with cec's decision to ditch the bots quote animatronics was cutting edge when chucky e. cheese started he said i try very hard not to live my life in the rearview mirror i like change i like progress and i like new things which i trust bushnell's judgment on this yeah i mean that's but, it's good that he views it like that because i mean that's what makes successful business people is they're not able to be stuck in old ways of doing things well bushnell's whole thing is he's an innovate is he's he's the marketing guy he's not like marketing guys are supposed to be on to the next thing constantly but right 
if you're a marketing, if you're a business or a finance guy, it's all stability. It's all long-term shit. Right, right. right. But we, it's been proven that Bushnell's whole thing is being able to look at the broad scale of the market and say, this is what's going to be successful. So if he says that it's okay that Chuck E. Cheese is ditching the animatronics, I trust that. Yeah. Let's see. Either way, Bushnell is happy that fans are still celebrating his work. Quote, Your fan base makes you feel like, hey, maybe my creations have a life of their own, he said. It humbles you. It makes you proud. By August of 2017, the band had all but been retired. When questioned about the move, Tom Leverton, CEO, said, Back then, kids' expectations of technology were much, much lower, he says. A child today has such high expectations for entertainment that the animatronics, even at their absolute best, cannot live up to those expectations. Right. Which I... I think that's the crux of this entire story, mm. right? Mm. Kids nowadays are not impressed by animatronics. Yes. They seem, they seem old and boring. Right. But many parents who have an appreciation for things that don't age well still have a warm spot for Chuck E. Cheese and his friends. The problem is, says Leverton, what we need to focus on is creating that magic for a new generation of kids that are coming in for the first time. Recently? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... And that makes sense. It's like you've gotta you've gotta take what makes Chuck E. Cheese successful and valuable and real. Like the you gotta take you gotta find what the modern parallel of a singing animatronic band is. Right. You gotta have that thing that gets people in the door because you can't ride that nostalgia wave forever. Totally, because the the consumers that still appreciate those things are not going to Chuck E. Cheese anymore. Like they they'll get frustrated when it's like they'll be sad when it gets removed, but they're not the ones giving them their revenue. Right. You need to get the kids in the door. Yeah. Recently, CEC has been in the news for operating under a deceptive Grubhub name, quote Pascali's Pizza, and using this to boost delivery sales. Have you heard about this? No. So so they're just trying to hide the fact that it's like Chuck E. Cheese pizza? Yes. So people people go to Grubhub looking for local pizza places, and they see, like, oh, Pascali's Pizza, and they order from them not knowing that it's a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Which, like, I totally fucking respect the hustle here. Yeah. It's like we go, <laughs> like, we make pizza. <laughs> I, and they do. Well, and, okay, so there's all this shit about like how Chuck E. Cheese has this like disgusting cardboard pizza, which for most of their life has been entirely true. Yeah. However, however, people don't know that back in 2009, they actually switched up their pizza recipe and they make the shit from scratch every single day. Wow. Yeah. Chuck E. Cheese pizza is actually very good now. I watched, I watched an interview with like a professional pizza connoisseur who uh, tried the new recipe and said that it was quote, passable (laughs) right which is a huge compliment right no it's like from from a guy from a guy that's like you know gone to italy and communed with the pizza king or whatever like (laughs) la corona de pizza (sighs) at the time of writing chuck e cheese has over 500 locations worldwide uh 527 in the united states 10 in canada Three in Puerto Rico, four in Guatemala, nine in Chile, seventeen in Saudi Arabia, seven in the United Arab Emirates, 
one in Guam, 19 in Mexico, seven in Peru, two in Panama, two in Trinidad and Tobago, uh, wow. two in Colombia, three in Honduras, one in Costa Rica, one in Jordan, and and one in India. Wow. I was Wait. like, I want to go to the, I want to go to the fucking Trinidadian Chuck yeah, E. Cheese. Right. That's amazing that there's how many, did you say how many there were still left in the U.S. Uh, five hundred and twenty-seven. Wow, that's crazy. That's, yeah, right. I'm so surprised. Huh. Yeah. Uh, in an interview for the Atlantic. Oh no no no. Okay, so uh, I know that some of my readers are going to be curious about this because we've heard a lot about like the lore of Chuck E. Cheese, right? Yeah. Well, I. I found the Chuck E. Cheese lore book. Oh no. It is a it is a a, a short eight page storybook that I am going to read now. So, uh, get some warm milk, get your weighted blanket, cuddle up because it's story time, bitches. Okay. Once upon a time, a little mouse moved into Saint Marinera's orphanage. He loved to play games with all the other orphans, but most of all, Chuck E. loved learning to play music. He especially loved the song, Happy Birthday. Because Chuck E. was an orphan. No one knew when his birthday was, so he never had a birthday party all his own. This made Chuck E. very sad. But not for long, because with so many kids at the orphanage, there was a birthday party almost every week. Chuck E. loved birthday parties, especially because there was pizza. When Chuck E. wasn't learning music, or singing, or enjoying pizza at a birthday party, Chuck E. loved to play video games. His favorite game was called Pong. Chucky almost never lost. Callback. Brand integration. Brand Vertical brand integration. <laughs> In fact, one day, Chucky won a Pong tournament. He won a trophy and $50. And that $50 was enough for him to buy a bus ticket to New York City. It was his magic ticket. When Chucky first moved to New York, he was amazed by how big the city was. But, despite being surrounded by so many people, Chucky felt lonely. He missed the kids from the orphanage. He had no place to stay, so Chucky would sleep above the, chick the kitchen in a pizzeria run by a friendly Italian chef named Pascali. Chucky loved the smell of the pizza, Plus, he had plenty of music. Pascali would listen to and sing along to the radio. It was a great place to live. Until one day, Chucky, thinking Pascali had gone home for the night, explored Pascali's restaurant and was discovered. Mouse! screamed Pascali as he chased Chucky around with a rolling pin. Pascali had Chucky cornered, his knees knocking from the nerves. Chucky couldn't think of what to do, so he did the one thing that always made him happy. He sang. Pascali was so shocked, he dropped the rolling pin. Quote, Mamma mia! A mouse that can sing? My restaurant is saved! I'm going to make you a star! 
Rascali immediately changed the name of his restaurant to Chuck E. Cheese's, home of the world-famous Singing Mouse. On the grand reopening night, men and women crowded around every table. Pascali proudly introduced Chuck E. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Chuck E. Cheese, the world-famous singing a mouse! When the curtain came up, Chuck E. was terrified. Chuck E. had never sung for so many adults before, and he stood there frozen. He couldn't do it. The crowd booed, and booed, and left. And Pascali was heartbroken. So was Chucky. He didn't want to disappoint Pascali. As Chucky stared out the window, the crowd poured out. He saw a young boy walking. He was holding his parents' hands and smiling, but most important, he was wearing a birthday crown. It was his birthday. Without another thought, Chucky began to sing his favorite song to the boy. Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you, little boy out on the street! Happy birthday to you! No one could believe it. Chucky could sing. The family came in. Pascali made them pizza, and Chucky sang all night. Other families walking by would join them. It was the best night ever. From that day on, Chuck E. Cheese would never be a place for grown-ups. It would be a place where families could bring their kids, and they could just be, well, kids. Chuck E. Cheese would always be a great place for birthdays. But more than that, it would be a place where every moment could be as special as a birthday. Time went on. Chucky and Pascali were joined on stage by other friends, and Chucky even convinced Pascali to bring in his other favorite thing, games. And Chucky hasn't stopped singing or smiling since. There you go. The end. Wonderful, wonderful uh, brand marketing there. Exactly. It's like... I, my, my favorite part is that he he grew up in a place named St. Marinara's Orphanage. <laughs> like, the, cath- the Catholic saint of pasta sauce. It's just like everything uh, ties together so well. Right, right. It's actually, that's genuinely a great piece of brand marketing. Very well thought out. <laughs> I love, it's like, why did Chuck E. Cheese move to New York with no housing plan? <laughs> right, because he was stupid. Uh, in the interview, f- in the interview for the Atlantic, Nolan was asked about further ventures like Skylander and the Anki Corporation. Weren't all of these things po- uh, pointers to a revival of the vision, or at least some derivative of this strange merging of software and physical characters? Maybe Teddy Ruxpin and his ilk were just false starts, and now the real animatronic revolution could begin. Quote, "I don't think I'd back that venture," he said. But, but. Childhood dreams die, I guess. The article ends with, Bonus! A gift-tastic visual guide to the recipe for Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater! The link was dead. In its place was a gray square and a box that said, Error. Failure to connect. That wraps up our story about (laughs) Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. And Nolan Bushnell. And Nolan Bushnell. Man, thank you for two great episodes. That was a lot of fun. And you are welcome. I, I learned a lot, lot fun doing it. I learned a lot in that episode that I had no idea about. Yeah, I was expecting Chuck E. Cheese to be like a lot more of a disaster, but it was really like a solid concept that just hit a couple brick walls with larger changes in the market. 
it is tr- like genuinely surprising that they're still doing okay. Like, right? It shows like, that like they've been, you know, they're making smart move. Like in the wake of this retail apocalypse and rapidly changing technology, they're actually making smart pivots. Well, it's like it's like what we talked about in the uh, the Rainforest Cafe episode. It's eating out is entertainment now, and yeah. that is exactly Chuck E. Cheese's business it, model. Yep. Yeah. Like as as much as. A lot of sit-down restaurants have been hurt. Chuck E. Cheese's has actually been they, uh, at least up when they were up against the, uh, the the fucking retail apocalypse, it it really didn't put any damage into their into their business model. They they're still solvent. Yeah, and that's you know it's a tribute to a good concept. And and they they actually have the infrastructure to pivot into just like being a pizza sale place. Yeah, because they can test new things out in like a select number of locations and gather data right. and evolve from there so there you go awesome that was, that was a lot right. of fun them's the end of that perfect for this podcast yes if you like what you heard follow us on twitter at daockast instagram at desperate acts of capitalism and tumblr at desperate acts of capitalism.tumblr.com And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, Business Desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you. Big things are coming.